United couldn't take that route because it meant that they fly over Pakistan, and they were afraid we'd get shot down. You know, I mean, it's pretty tense there. The people in India are, you know, they're just like God. Should we go hide? Because the nuclear weapons could start flying in any minute there. So uh, they had to fly from Delhi down towards Mumbai, out across the Arabian Sea, and up across Iraq. It was safer to fly across Iraq, and I think part of Iran, than to fly across Pakistan. So I had to go instead of nonstop. I went from Delhi the long way out across the, up to Frankfurt, and then from Frankfurt. So, you know, so I got I got here and I was pretty wrung out. So, long travel this time. So, but uh, anyway, it's nice to be back. Um, and later on, we can talk more about the, the different views the world has of America. And of the world, too, the world in general. It's a much different place than what we, what we know. Um, so, uh, oh, would you read our disclaimer for us? Isn't it, can you put it on the screen? Or, I, I, I can do it. Never mind. Huh? Okay. No, I, I I had it out and then I put it away and forgot about it. Disclaimer is not a good word. It's a descriptive, a description. What is Krishna Cove about? What are we doing here? And this view does not necessarily reflect the, the opinion of management. No, I'm just kidding. It does. <laughs> it's written by Radha Sundari. Uh, and she is management. Isn't that right, Govinda Mata? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's in charge whenever she says she's in charge. Who, who is this? Radha Sundari, Devi Dasi. <laughs> Krishna Cove is where we discuss the practice of bhakti yoga, which is the yoga of the heart, where we reconnect with the divine in a personal way, through self-realization guided by the most ancient scriptures in the world. Very nicely done. So, uh, so what's this title about tonight? It's It really... Actually, it really is about you. Now, that is totally not true in the material world. In this world, you can't go around thinking, well, it's all about me, although we do, but we can't, but we try. Uh, you know, we put our, uh, we always try to put our best foot forward or we're, we're, we're all struggling to come up with an identity. And we've been doing that since we became a little cognizant, you know, when we were children. You look around and there's other children. And so they, they have identities. I start to see them. So where's mine? I want an identity. This one gets good grades. This one is tall. This one is handsome. This one is athletic. So where is my identity? Where do I fit? And we... Uh, we get so wrapped up in trying to establish within ourselves what is 
basically what we're actually trying to do, but we don't really think of it that way, is what is the identity that I want the world to see when they look at me? How do I want you to see me? You see? Now, is, am I correct? We can, if we analyze, and I, I spend most of my time analyzing my fellow man and my fellow living entities even, analyze the animals, but uh, uh, analyzing people. When you travel internationally, you, you get a, 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 a tremendous, delicious dose of this <coughs> mixture of peoples, uh, especially when you go to our community in Mayapur, India. There's like 15,000 people from every, every country in the world. Every culture in the world is present in one place. So all these different languages. Now, um, Mayapur has become predominantly, if anything, it's predominated by the Russians. The Russians have become, uh, when the uh, Iron Curtain went away and the Cold War was over, and communism fell again, although they're trying, they're all, there's always going to be people trying to resurface socialism and communism. It's always failed. If you talk to people who grew up in Russia, they say, oh my God, Americans are crazy. They're insane. This Bernie Sanders, what does he get this piece? You know, they're really upset. Don't do it, you know, because they hear the stories from their parents and their grandparents. You know, you've, You've heard probably older relatives that talk about what it was like during the Great Depression. Oh, we thought we couldn't, we didn't have shoes, we couldn't find a job, and we couldn't eat. So they're talking about, you know. So anyway, when the when communism fell, um, then the people discovered religion. They weren't encouraged, they were discouraged to pursue religion. Still, that's true in communist China. Wherever there's communism, socialism, religion is pushed down. I don't believe that. Bernie doesn't say that. Well, grow up. <laughs> Read history. So um, when uh, religion was accepted in <coughs> Russia, they, they started to explore it. And the, uh, in Russia, it's hip to be a Hare Krishna. I mean, we are the dry, there are hundreds of thousands of Russian devotees. And they're, you met someone, you saw some of them, didn't you? You know, and they're really good devotees. <laughs> Whatever the Russians do, they do really good, you know. I've often said, after you know, knowing many Russians for many years, I've said to some of my Russian devotee friends, if it had come to a toe-to-toe -to -toe war, between Russia and the United States, the Russians would have killed us. <laughs> you know, they're, they're hard people, but they had to be hard. You know, it was their, the, the environment they grew up in was hard. You know, you had to stand, there were shortages of everything. You know, now that capitalism is there, there's, it's a land of plenty. The economy is, is going. Uh, uh, the communist predominated West Bengal uh, for I don't know how many decades in uh, where Mayapur is in India. And so the, the whole place was, I mean, you know, communism means stale. There's no incentive for anybody to do anything. 
So everything is stale and highly regulated. So, but as soon as the communists uh, were voted out in West Bengal, and India has is boomed. India is the big, biggest <clears throat> boom place that you could imagine. You know, it's uh, and we can talk more about that later. But in Russia, uh, they started to discover Hare Krishna, and so. There's legions of Russian devotees. And so Mayapur is predominated by Russians. And at one time, when I first went there in 1976, uh, it was mostly all Americans. <laughs> <laughs> and now the, Mer the Americans are pretty much in a, a minority. You know, we're, you know, people will ask you, you know, they always want, the Indians want to know, what, what is your country? Where are you from? And you say, uh, America, oh, really? Used to they expect it, you know. You're, you have light complexion, so you're you're probably from America. Now you could be anywhere, you know, Australian, Russian, Eastern European, German, you know. So now, um, so getting back to the subject, uh, we spend this, we spend our lives trying to establish. Uh, an identity. And we have to keep changing it because when you're a certain age, you want to be identified as a certain person. Then you go through puberty. I need a whole new identity. You see? And so it, it's a struggle all through your life. As you get older and you can look back on history of your life, you can realize this. It's always been a struggle to establish myself. I have to establish myself as a student. Now I'm in college. I look around, what do the other students do? How do they dress? How do they act? What do they believe in? What do they campaign for? What do they protest for? You know, so I take some of their interests and then I want to be just like them, yet individual. So I need my identity. So that goes on and on and on. What this is telling us, if we apply intelligence to this, is that I don't know what my identity is, and I don't know that I have any, an eternal identity. I, I am, uh, because I'm in this human body, I'm suffering uh, an identity crisis. I'm trying to establish, think about that. If I'm trying to establish an identity, that means I don't have one or I don't know of one. So I'm trying to identify. And so we find ourselves uh, identifying with a group of people that somehow or other impresses us. You know? <sighs> Gee whiz, look at those folks. Uh, I like what they say and I, I like the way they look and I think they're really hip. I wanna be like, I wanna be a part of that group. But now that I'm part of that group, I don't want to be just like a piece of salt water that dropped into the ocean. I don't want to merge into it. I want to maintain an identity separate. I'm part of the group, yet I'm me. So this will tell us a lot about uh, our individual souls, our true eternal identity. You are part and parcel of the Supreme Godhead. And yet, you have uh, a very completely, totally unique identity, you see. You don't know what that identity is, though, do you? 
So part of what we're trying to, to get you to uh, uh, understand is that you are not uh, who and what you think you are. You see, you're not this body. You're not an American, not a male or a female, you see. You're not a Democrat or Republican. You're not even an earthling, you know. You uh, are suffering a, 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 an ongoing identity crisis. And it's all about you. And therein is the conflict because with everyone, it's all about them. And so if, if you can make me think that it's all about me, then I think I love you, you see. I think I can associate with you because you're, you're seeing the value in me that I'm trying to, you're buying my identity that I'm putting out there. You're buying what I'm selling, you see. Stop buying, the deal's off. I'll find somebody else because I want someone to appreciate me for who I am. So in other words, you're saying you're perfect. Although you've been changing identities all your life, which one of them is perfect? Is it the one you have now? So we hear that a lot. I want to find somebody who appreciates me for who I am. Oh, so you're the perfect person. Well, I didn't say I'm perfect. So you don't want me to try to help you become what you can be. Because then you want me to appreciate for what you are. You see, it's not that that's bad. That's confused. You see, so uh, Krishna consciousness, if we study Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam, Chaitanya Charitamrita, will help you find yourself, your real, eternal identity, which is yours. It belongs to you. You own it. And so uh, how, do we, uh, how do we take these steps to finding ourselves? Now, we hear so much these days about self-realization. Who can tell you what that is? You know, I can use it to sell you a product, maybe. You know, it's like they use all these things to, to sell products. You know, that the Ayurveda became popular so that we can sell you Ayurvedic this, Ayurvedic that. And I can sell you stuff put a title or something that's popular attached to it. So, um, self-realization, it means just that, realizing yourself, not who you're trying to be, you see. Who are you really? And how does that uh, interpret into true spiritual life? It means, how does the eternal personality, the Supreme Godhead, how does he see you? You see, he's not suffering an identity crisis. While you've wandered through the material world on this sojourn of yours, birth after birth after birth, trying to put forth an identity, he has never lost sight of your eternal identity. You see? He's never forgotten. So what does he see when he sees you? He doesn't see the body. He sees this eternal living entity, his beloved part and parcel. So this is where I get the title. When Krishna sees you, 
it really is and truly to him all about you. It's not all about him to him. He knows that he's the supreme. Krishna knows that he's the uh, the most beautiful, the most powerful, the strongest, the wisest, the source. He knows. He doesn't have to. You know, if you met Krishna at a party, he wouldn't walk up to you and say, Hi, Krishna here. <laughs> Boom, James Bond. No, he would... He would say, you know, he, he wouldn't say, I'm Krishna, and I'm this, and I'm that, and I'm, you know, boy, I can create a whole world, and I, I can do this, and I can, no, he, he knows it, you know. Yeah. What do you think he would be interested in? Immediately, if he met you at this party. Where your soul's at. He would be interested in you. Hi, my beloved. You know, you don't have to tell me anything about you because I know more about you than you could ever possibly know. And I'm uh, captivated by you. Uh, to Krishna, your every word captivates him. You see, everything about you is beautiful, lovable. Uh, to have your association gives him great pleasure, which is why we exist. You see, we're answering some questions that uh, the rest of the world has a, a real struggle, even attempting to answer. Why do you exist? We all wonder that when you get all these speculations that we are part of the ongoing cosmic mix. Uh, stop, you're giving me a headache. No, why do I exist? I exist to give pleasure to the supreme source of pleasure. Now, what does that say about you? That you are empowered to please the source of pleasure, to give ecstasy to the ocean of ecstasy. You see? So this explains why a lot of people wonder about devotees when you get to meet devotees that are that become a little realized. Uh, they think there's something different about you. You're very different. You're not a trying to establish some persona. You know, you're not selling a personality. Why, you seem to be interested in me. And you're not competing with me. You ever notice, if you listen to people, when I get out and about, I try to listen to what people say. And uh, I hear people in the park, and they'll be talking um, and, and just about anywhere. It's the and correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I recognize, I was listening to people in the airport when we were, I had a six hour layover in Newark coming back and I was a lot of time to listen to people. And so it's kind of like, here's the, the, the social rule, uh, at least in America, the rest of these countries I was in, I couldn't understand what they were saying, but you know, I could hear the, these folks. It's kind of like, all right, I'm talking now, and I'm going to talk until I'm out of, out of breath. As soon as, I, as soon as I go to take a breath, you're going to take over and start telling me about you. And then you're going to talk until you're blue in the face. And as soon as you have to take a breath, I'm going to steal it back, and I'm going to talk about me. So it's kind of like a tennis match, you know. It's going back and forth. Boom, boom, boom. This is the conversation, you know. Uh, well, my husband just got a, a, a new posi position at such and such and such, and blah, 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 and it looks like he's going to be doing blah, 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 blah. Then the other one grabs it. Well, my husband, blah, 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 
you know. Little Mary just got admitted into whatever school. Yeah, little Johnny's going to Harvard, you know. Ah, ah, ah. It's just this, I got to tell you about me. Don't you want to hear about me? And you find somebody that seems like they want to hear about you, and you think, I found a friend. Isn't it sad? So there, there is a struggle within the world. There is, these are uh, minute wars that are going on. I want you to recognize me. If I have to recognize you some, if I have to listen to you for a while so I can get you to listen to me, then I'll, I'll go for that. I'll settle. So this is uh, the struggle that's going on in the world. And then you have nations struggling against nations and like that. So this is material consciousness. Material consciousness is the exact opposite from spiritual consciousness. Uh, if you practice bhakti yoga, you get to the point to where you come to the realization that, oh my God, Krishna loves me. And then you start to analyze, what does that mean? I'm loved by the source of love. I'm loved eternally by the supreme lover. I have never been unloved. I thought I was. Sometimes I wait. I laid awake at night in school, thinking, "Oh, nobody loves me. Everybody's got a girlfriend of me. Where's mine? You know, who am I going to go to the prom with?" You know? <laughs> it was so unfortunate that people suffer. This is called adhyatmika, troubles that happen within the mind. It's worrying about the boogeyman in the closet. You know. Because I don't know if I'm doing wrong. Everybody else is doing better than me. Uh, so, but bhakti yoga can get you to the point to have that realization that Krishna loves me. Now, once you get there, you don't feel like going around telling everybody, hi, who are you? By the way, before you start talking, God loves me. You don't go around trying to, that doesn't be your persona, you know. You put it on your Facebook page. There's money was even on there. And I'm loved by God. You know, and you're probably not. He probably loves me more than you. You know. The competition goes away. The devotee doesn't compete. It becomes when you meet people, all about you. I'm interested in you. As far as me, I know I'm okay. Okay's enough. I don't have to make you think I'm great. Okay is enough. If I want to feel great, I can feel embarrassed when I think about how much Krishna loves me, and I can't figure out why. I don't know. So I am overloved. Uh, I'm in a bear hug of an embrace from the Supreme. You see? And he's not letting me go. He never did let me go. He never will let me go. I've, I've realized this eternal bond that I have that I forgot because I wanted to come to the material world and be all I can be without him. You see? 
And so I gave that a shot. It didn't work out for me. It didn't work again and again and again, birth after birth. So somehow or other, uh, out of Krishna's mercy, I stumbled across the truth, the absolute truth, not my relative truth. Now we're all entitled to our relative truth. You know, it's like, um, I forget who it was that said it, but some famous person uh, said it. Uh, everyone is entitled to an opinion, regardless of how ridiculous it may be. It's yours. You're entitled to it. This is called free will. Krishna gives you free will. If you want to think you're a human being, go for it. At one point, you thought you were a cute little dog, and you were very good at it. There was a point when you thought you were a snake, and you were probably a very good snake, you see? And if we continue on this path, in our next life, we'll be another something, another body. Bhagavad Gita says, at the time of death, the consciousness that you have allows you to be assigned a particular type of eye, a particular type of ear, a particular type of smell, you see? In other words, your senses will be, uh, some senses will predominate so that you can fit your next life, which is the life that you have wanted. You may not think, I want to be a pigeon, <laughs> but you may, you may be thinking all of your life that sex life is really the most important thing to me. Well, the human body is not, it's not a good body to be concentrating on sex life because sex life for human beings is extremely complicated. For pigeons, there's no complication. You know, if they see dogs in the city and they're having sex, they don't arrest them. They don't have to, they don't care if you watch. <laughs> you know? They don't have to get a room. Pigeons can have sex every 15 minutes. And there's no palimony, no responsibility. You know, they just go on and, you know. So if one animal rapes another, and animals do that, whales. Did you know that whales are, anyway, that's another story. It's a whole story about how whales do their thing, which is kind of sickening. But um, so, so animals are not held to a, a standard that human beings are held to. You see, the unfortunate thing is that we still have these animalistic tendencies from being one of every of the 8,400,000 species of life. We don't have full spiritual knowledge, so we're glorified animals, sophisticated animals, you see. Um, I'm interested in something to eat, place to sleep, someone to mate with. And once I get that, I have to defend it from all the rest of the folks that might want it because they're struggling for it too. Eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. Every living entity does these activities. Human beings do those same activities, but they regulate it. You see, it's like if there's a red light in the, you know, on, the, on the street and you pull up and you stop and there's a dog running along beside you and he goes on through the red light, they don't, cops don't go after him and give him a ticket. You know, he's not held to the same standard, you see. 
But the human beings are held to a higher standard. For those who, and I think it's the Bible that says, for those who have more, more is expected. You have a greater intelligence. You're expected with those others around you, the human beings that have a higher intelligence, to act out of higher intelligence. But we don't really know what that is. You know, I want my uh, eating to be more sophisticated than a dog. And my sleeping. And my mating. And my defense. Instead of nails and teeth, I have guns and knives and uh, security alarms, you know. Carl, we have all that to protect. That's part of defense, you see. So this is our struggle. This is what we're, we're going through. And this is uh, our mission, is to help you get away from this. When you become uh, a little bit realized in bhakti yoga, you become, uh, there's an, uh, a position in yoga, I forget the Sanskrit word, but it's uh, equipositioned become equipoised. That means you reach a level. And that level is called shanti, peace. In other words, we take the peaks and valleys, and we've all had those, you know, you slice off the peaks to fill the valleys and it's level. You know, none of this, yay, goody, goody, oh my God, it's terrible, you know. It's always peaceful. So this is this equi, uh, equi, uh, equipositioned position is what we're uh, not striving to achieve, but it's the reward when you get a little bit of self-realization. Most of my worries are over with when I just simply realize that God loves me. Krishna loves me more than I can ever understand. It will take me eternity and I'll still never understand because his love for me is ever increasing. My love for him is ever increasing. There's so much of it, I can't even understand how much and how I love him, which gives a very beautiful, uh, a very, it's a very beautiful realization of love. It's not just, all right, I can tolerate you. You ever noticed a lot of people, people that have been together for a long time, um, in the beginning, it's what they call the honeymoon period. You know, you've heard people say, well, the honeymoon's over because they started to argue and fight. And so it gets to the point where, oh, you, you're everything. You're incredible. And then the honeymoon's over. And it's kind of like, all right, I think I can tolerate you. And if you last a long time, I learned, we've learned how to tolerate each other. Well, she's got her thing and I got my thing. And yeah, we get together from time to time. Oh, how was your day? Good. Okay. All right, I'm going to go play golf. And, you know. <laughs> so, uh, or basically we find people who, uh, uh, who fall in love in, in, in the material world, uh, they basically find mates uh, whose, neuro whose neuroses match with theirs. I'm crazy, you're crazy. If your craziness is like mine, it's like, if I like to sit around and chain smoke in the house, in the winter, with it, all the doors and windows closed, and you don't, we got a problem. 
but if you like it too, then you don't think I'm crazy. All my non-smoker friends are saying, when are you going to quit that? That's going to kill you. But my smoker friends are saying, hey, would you like one? Can I like that? You see what I mean? If I do heroin, everybody out there is going to say, what an idiot. What a jerk. But if you do heroin, hey, this could be love. So... If I'm crazy into football, and so are you, then you see what I mean? So these, if these things match up, we call that love, you see? Uh, so uh, from the eyes of Krishna, it totally is all about you. So you don't have to let this all about me occupy your mind, you see? I want to see... Why? I want, I want that answer. And I want Krishna to tell me someday. Why do you feel this way about me? Why is it all about me to you? Because I've been trying to establish for billions of births how great and how unique and how fabulous I am. And now I'm come to realize I've just been kidding myself and everyone else. But you see the real eternal me. I wonder what you see. You see, this is uh, this is true human life. This is an extremely important question. This is the most important question that you'll ever get answered in your existence. And Krishna wants to share that with you. Krishna wants to tell you, I love you because. And it's going to take a long time for him to tell you what it is about you. And you'll be embarrassed. Oh, no, that's, no, Krishna, don't say that. No, 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 I'm not that. No, I'm not that, you know. Stop, stop, you know. I, I, would, I want to praise you. You know, you're praiseable, not me. You <coughs> see, the devotee gets to the point to where when he starts to receive praise, it sounds, it's uncomfortable. Now, in the material world, it's kind of like, well, you know, okay, come on, tell me more. You know, you just can't say enough, you know. Well, you're so this, or you're so that. Yeah, I know that. And there's probably more if you keep thinking, you know. The devotee gets to the point where he gets some praise and he thinks, okay, you know, thank you. That's it. Now let's talk about you or Krishna or something else. <coughs> Although, and this is a problem amongst devotees, devotee wants to praise. You are so magnanimous. You are this and you are the end of the day. Oh, no, I don't want to hear that. But then you realize this is pleasing to you. It's unpleasing to me, but it's pleasing to you. So let's go with that for a little while. Sooner or later, you'll stop it and we'll, I can talk about you or we can talk about Krishna. So when you become spiritual, things re reverse. And I want to hear about me. I'm okay, you see. Krishna loves me, I'm, I'm okay. I know that I have nothing to worry about except forgetting my relationship with Krishna again. And I'm not going there, I'm not gonna let that happen. So I don't have to worry about me, you see. I, don't, I have no worries about me. Who's that insurance company that says you're in good hands? I'll stay, yeah. You're in good hands with Krishna. I'm in Krishna's hands. 
you know, some of the people getting on the plane uh, in, in Delhi were very concerned about, you know, we're, we're in North India, which isn't that far from, from uh, Pakistan. And so could a missile find its way into our plane? And, you know, some people, you know, they come up to me and they were saying, they look, they see how I'm dressed. And, do you, uh, they're from America. It's their first time to India. Do you, do you like, uh, do you come to India very often? Well, yeah, almost every year, you know. Uh, what, what do you think about this situation? I mean, like, are we safe? And uh, I want to say something just to, get their attention, you know, are we ever safe in this material world? Well, yeah, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> and I would say, look, we are always in God's hands. And from what I've learned about uh, Krishna is he will always have his way with you. He'll always get his way. He won't go against your free will. But he, it's going to be the way he wants it to be. And that's what I want. So if that means we take a missile and we disintegrate, then that was his choice. I don't say that to them. <laughs> if I said that, they, ah! <laughs> well, thank you very much. Okay, you know, have a safe trip. <laughs> so, but I would say encouraging words like, you know, this is just... Uh, these cultures are rattling their sabers and, you know, nothing's going to happen, at least until we get north of Iraq, you know, then all hell could break loose. <laughs> and if it does, what do we care? You know? <laughs> so, uh, uh, but there were a lot of people worried about that. I wasn't concerned. Uh, I was concerned because I'm thinking, I don't think I'm going to be able to sleep on this flight. <coughs> and when I get... When I get to Tucson, I'm going to be, or when I get to Phoenix, I'm going to be dead. And I was concerned about my service. I'd come and associate with the devotees the next day. And I'm thinking, am I, what time zone is my brain going to be in once I wake up, if I wake up, you know, on um, Wednesday morning? So uh, that was my biggest concern. How can I keep this old body going? So, but anyway, uh, that's what we're talking about tonight. It truly is all about you. But you don't have to make it all about you. It already is. To Krishna, it's all about you. It's all about all the unlimited living entities at one time. And every one of us is his true favorite. He can do that because he's God. He doesn't have to have one favorite. They're all, we're all his favorite. We exist to give him, to enhance his ecstasy. <clears throat> now, God is the complete whole. Everything comes from the complete whole. It has to be complete for everything to come from it. So Krishna is complete in his ecstasy all by himself. He doesn't need us to be ecstatic. And yet, Having all of us enhances his ecstasy because he wants to what? Share his ecstasy. If you're feeling really, really good, don't you want to tell somebody or share it with somebody? You know, if you're going to go on a nice 
vacation or something and you want somebody there you can share it with you know love is something you share you're the, he's the source of love all right but i want to share it uh, i want that circuit to be complete this reciprocation therefore we exist there wasn't a time when he thought maybe i'll create some entities to be with me no uh, in the material world everything has a beginning because everything has an end in the spiritual world, you, the living entities, never had a beginning. We, there never was a time when we did not exist and never could there ever possibly be a time when we'll cease to be. So this has been going on, I would say forever, but that doesn't mean much because we always think, well, there has to be a beginning. You know? Well, no, there wasn't. There's no beginning to this relationship that we have with Krishna, and there's no end. Uh, what's happened is we've lost our consciousness. We've lost our consciousness of this eternal relationship. And that's causing us all the suffering that we perceive. You see, that's the only cause of our suffering. You get that back and your suffering goes away. Now you're still gonna feel some pains of old age. You know, you're still going to feel some, maybe you'll get a cold once in a while. Or maybe you're, but as far as being an anxiety, the only anxiety that you're going to feel is, am I pleasing my spiritual master enough? My dear Lord, how could I possibly ever repay you for your kindness and love and mercy? You know, it's, it's the anxiety felt of love. To the degree that you love someone, along with that comes anxiety, positive anxiety. How can I please you? Not because I need, I owe you, but because I love you. I want to please you. And the material world is, how can you please me? You know, can I have um, free access to your body? You know, this is, this is material. This is animal consciousness. Spiritual consciousness is how can I please you? What can I do to see that beautiful smile of yours? A genuine smile to give you a laugh, to give you pleasure. Oh, wait a minute. That's my eternal position. I am a giver of pleasure. That's my eternal relationship with God. I'm empowered to give pleasure to the source of pleasure. That's why it feels so good to give pleasure. You see? So the devotee stops wrestling for you to give pleasure. Why you give me pleasure when I hear you chant Hare Krishna? When I see you make one step uh, closer to Krishna, Krishna consciousness, it gives me great ecstasy, you see, rather than you somehow you need to gratify my senses. You see what I mean? So we're above the sensory perception. So let's pause. And uh, how long do we have? 15 minutes? So. Yeah. All right. Questions? Anyone? Comments? Not even me. Not even you? <laughs> how about you, Sean? What was your question? It, it struck me um, when you were explaining about the people at the airport is how much freedom there is in bhakti or freedom from anxiety. Like you're saying that um, 
well, even if you think of a weapon, it's just, it is. So what? Essentially, and there's freedom in that. What's going to happen is going to happen, mm. whether I'm in anxiety or not. Mm. Then we give up and say, this is a good day, God. Thank you, God. Take me if you want me. You find total, complete peace. And it doesn't really... You find peace. Yeah, you find yeah. total, complete peace and you just keep stepping forward. Because I am your servant. Because I love you that much and, and I trust you. And, and the, when the devotee um, realizes this position of servitude to the Supreme, we stop asking him for stuff. We, how can I serve you? You see, it's pious to ask God for good health. That's pious. It's pious to ask God, please protect me on this voyage because I'm turning to him. But it's not first class. You know, first class is I'm your servant. I want what you want for me. That's what I want. I got myself into great difficulty when I started wanting what you didn't want for me. And so I had to come to the material world to find myself again and again and again. You see, so once we get that understanding that I am your servant, and then uh, as you advance in that consciousness, you realize that Krishna's uh, opinion is that, no, I am your servant. This is the reciprocation of love. My dear Lord, I love you so much. I am your servant. And Krishna becomes your servant. You see, to the degree that you love Krishna, you can actually own him if you truly love him. Now, you've got to truly love him and totally realize that love. Otherwise, you would try to use that power of owning God. And we've seen people, you know, that some people are so, uh, what's the word, infatuated? with one person that that person may be cruel to them, but they hang on to the relationship because they're infatuated. You see, they're, they're being used by this person. Why? Because I love you so much. I've seen people like that. Maybe some of you have seen, you notice that. And so there's abuse, sometimes even physical abuse, you know, crazy abuse. Uh, but Krishna, once he realizes that you've come to your true senses, your true realization of that relationship with him, then he wants you to, to own him. He wants to be yours, you see. So it's like some, uh, in, the, in the spiritual world, some of the gopis, Krishna's eternal associates, they say, I am Krishna. <laughs> and the others say, Krishna is mine. These are statements of love. Krishna, all through Bhagavad Gita, again and again and again, he says, surrender. I want you to surrender to me. Now, why? Because he wants to surrender to you because that's what lovers do. That completes the circuit, the reciprocal circuit, you see. So this is Bhakti Yoga. It's stoking the fire of love of Godhead. You build that fire, get it warmer and warmer and warmer. So we just yesterday celebrated Lord Chaitanya's appearance. Lord Chaitanya is Radha and Krishna combined together. 
Lord Chaitanya doesn't even ask for surrender. He's a lot more merciful than Krishna. He's not asking a surrender. Chant my names. Chant Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Hidden in that mantra, you will discover your lost love. You know, this is uh, the Maha Mantra. It was a very secret uh, mantra until Lord Chaitanya started to distribute it. He was criticized. Actually, the mantra uh, before Lord Chaitanya appeared was actually Hari Rama, Hari Rama, uh, Rama, Rama, Hari, Hari, Hari Krishna, Hari Krishna, 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 Hari, Hari. And so Lord Chaitanya was criticized by the caste Brahmins. Why are you giving this to the common man? Even sudras are hearing you. Low-class dog eaters are hearing this. This is not for. And so Lord Chaitanya said, uh, without arguing, he changed it to Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. And as you say it, it has, you see, so, uh, did you have any questions or anything? It's I just time. have a very nasty cough. So, oh. You know, it's interesting. I never get sick, but I came to, so I to the Hare Krishna temple last week and picked up some bug that is here. <laughs> that's purification. Well, that's exactly what yeah. Krishna, it seems the more I chant the Maha Mantra, uh, the more I purify. <laughs> it's, it's what Prabhupada called cooking the ghee. You know how they make ghee? You take a lot of butter and you put it in a pot and you put it on a low heat and then you, as it melts, you turn the heat up and you get it to boil. And the impurities in the butter will come up and float right. to the top and you skim them off. And then you keep doing that. And after a while, you get this clear amber colored ghee. And it's 100% pure. It doesn't need any refrigeration. It lasts indefinitely. Oh, I know. I make ghee. Yeah. So that's what you're doing. When you that's chant Hare right. Krishna, these things start to cook out. Yeah, actually, I was going to yeah, I, I was, I was gonna actually ask you, um, um, yeah, I guess that's what it is. It's just a lot of spontaneous bliss. Yeah. And a lot of tears. Uncontrollable. Yeah. Tears of joy. Yeah. The big difference between tears of joy and tears of sorrow. You ever notice? Tears of sorrow. Like when people are at a funeral and they're crying, they start to cry. Someone will hand them a handkerchief or a tissue because you want to wipe them away. They're warm. They're, you know, they're not comfortable. Tears of ecstasy are pleasing because they're cool. And you notice people don't don't wipe those away. They're, they may not even notice them. They're enhancing the ecstatic feeling. You know, so um, it's a big difference. Yeah. Big difference to it. But I also, too, you said that something that's really given me a lot of strength is um, you said last night about everywhere you go, everyone's becoming vegan. You're seeing the changes on the planet. Yeah. I was wondering if you could talk about that. Yeah. Uh, I'm not for veganism because milk is bad for you. 
I appreciate people who are vegan because they don't want to see the cow slaughtered. So in the beginning of veganism, it was preached that milk is this and milk is bad. And, you know, they have to do that to sell their whatever they're selling, you know, their concept or whatever. But milk is certainly not bad. Uh, science now. Science. The medical... I'm a diabetic, and uh, from time to time, and especially lately, I've, I've had a, a great awakening. So I've gotten back into studying what to eat and what not to eat. So, but even science, medical science, says ghee is one of the most important things you can put in your body. It's, I mean, it just does so many things for the body. Ghee is incredibly important. So, but anyway, yes, we see this. Uh, it used to be uh, in, in, in the 70s and 60s when people were coming to our movement, the people that joined were a much lower class than I see today. Much lower. Right. Been eating meat all your life, and people would wonder, what does my diet have to do with spiritual life? You know, that it, Strung out on all kinds of drugs, free sex, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and blah blah blah. You know, so it, it's, it was like Prabhupada went to the to the lowest of mankind. You know, when we really look at it, we were the lowest people on the planet. And but Lord Chaitanya came to uh, appeal to the most fallen. Probably Lord Chaitanya said, "I've come to save the most fallen." see so the people that are coming nowadays are so many degrees higher than the people that came so the the overall consciousness although it's extremely confused and grossly misled is better the planet is is better yeah this is what people being when you mentioned that this, this, this is what people think black and white. Now, I'm not vegan because I do eat. Uh, but, but the thing is with, with the milk is, 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 is the slaughter of the, of, of the cows and the hormones that are used in the cows. That's, that's the big reason why I can't yeah. eat dairy. I don't have... Although we don't know what the hormones do. Well, I know what they do to my body. Yeah. Yeah, it just, it feels horrible. Yeah. It, it, like the if they have an effect on, on you, then you should... Yeah, the torturing that they come. Well, that, that's it. It goes right into my body. So that's the only yeah. reason why I really ask about the... But um, some uh, nice devotees, just Indian devotees in... Uh, I have to move around. My legs are getting stiff today. Uh, when I get cold, I get stiff in my joints. I don't recommend old age to any of my friends. <laughs> uh, some um, nice devotee friends of mine in, in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, they have access to real ahimsa milk. Mm. You know, from, I mean, it's the real deal. And back in the 70s, I lived, uh, we have a, we still have a commune farm in uh, the Amish country in Pennsylvania called mm -hmm. Gitanagri. And I lived there for a while. Um, when we first got it, I was there. And so I, I dined on a heap of milk 
which is entirely different than the milk you get from the yeah. store. Yeah. You know, I'm talking milk with that much cream floating on the top of right. it. You know, you have to shake it up because yeah. 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 uh, the cream is on top. Yeah. You know, yeah. We had so much milk. We had barrels of ghee. Everything was cooked. And we, uh, the ladies made this homemade sour cream. And uh, they, I mean, they, we had so much. It was such an opulence because we were offering it to Krishna. We know Krishna loves this. So we're getting creative. What can we do? They were even putting yogurt cultures in butter yeah. and making a combination of yogurt and butter. You know, you yeah. call it yogurt or whatever, you know. <laughs> culture the milk. Yeah, culture the milk. Yeah. I mean, it was just like homemade cream cheese. You just never live. The cows, the cows give pleasure. Yeah, they so give a they give up, a food. You were in that ashram. That, that mm -hmm. Yeah, I was there for you know I was part of the management there in 1976, 70, and then for a while in 77 and 78. Mm. So, uh, um, and those cows were loved, and so the consciousness of their milk would have been so much. The, see at the state fair. Uh, or the county fair, the Amish had always won first prize for their cows and their the milk. They had always, for like decades. So along come the devotees, and we had a herd, I think we had 70-something, maybe 80 brown Swiss cows that were basically pets. They were treated like pets. And so they gave an incredible amount of milk and it was such a high quality milk and the cows were so beautiful that we started winning first place <laughs> so the Amish were like a little upset but they became our friends because they wanted to come over and see you know what is it and it, you know we were trying to tell them we don't eat them and it yeah. took a while for to get them to realize they never have to worry about us killing them like when they get into old age and they can't produce milk anymore, they still have a life. They'll still be protected. Mm. So they were quite amazed by that concept. And so uh, anyway, it was a, um, exposure to the real thing. But uh, my devotee friends in Knoxville, this lady, she's an extremely good cook. And she makes uh, butter out of this ahimsa milk. And from that, she makes a himsagi. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing like it. There's just, there's nothing like it. <laughs> you know? I'm telling you, you can't, you can't believe the, the, the flavor and uh, the health attributes. So if we could establish ahimsa farms with ahimsa cows, this is what goes along with Krishna consciousness. If we could do that, uh, establishing these places so that people could get exposure to true ahimsa, yeah. you know, uh, true nonviolence. Yeah. Uh, nonviolence doesn't mean I won't kill you if you don't try to kill me. It means I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to kill you. Yeah. Well, I, I told today how many echo villages, Islamic echo villages. I was yeah. quite shocked how many from from when I I 
you know, because because I could only as a Sikh, I could when I was a Sikh, I could only eat, I could only eat and drink pizza. When I went to Govinda's in in California, I could only eat the pizza that you guys cook with the uh -huh. cheese. It was the only dairy that I could eat. Uh -huh. So I made a promise then that someday I would have my own echo village or appear in that direction. So that's now, if you're interested in living on a farm, I have a farm. Oh, you do? But I don't have people. Oh. So it's not a complete farm, but I have a farm. Oh, where is it? It's in, it's outside of Knoxville, Tennessee, in Lenore County. Oh, okay. Oh, no. Is it Lenore County? Is it? It's near Lenore City, Loudoun County. Uh-huh. Well, I need to talk to you. Yeah, I mean, it's lush, lots of rain, tons Ooh. of grass. 40 acres, uh, 30 acres cleared, 10 acres of hardwood forest, a farmhouse that's completely refurbished. And I could go live there, but what am I going to do there? I can't do my service. I can't find people. I find a lot of people who do lip service to natural living, uh -huh. but they don't want to go do natural living. Yeah. I like to eat organic vegetables that somebody grows. <laughs> Not me, you know, and, and there ought to be himsa cows, but not me. And so we need to raise the consciousness of people to where they think, well, well, you know, I'd like to really be part of this. Yeah, well, well as you were saying, this is 2019 is the light of intensive, the year of intensifying light, a lot of light coming in. Yeah. It's brighter. It's I've been I've brighter. been telling people that. Did you? Yeah, it's so bright. Yeah. The future is so bright, you better buy some shades. Well, yeah. <laughs> and there's more people, there's more uh there's more babies being born with the strands of DNA already activated. That's true. And, and yeah, there are more people choosing to leave. And there's a lot of dark people dying. Not so dark too. People are just choosing to leave. Yeah. And be reborn again so that they can fit into the it's a new yeah. Ten thousand years of the age Kalayuga of the golden age is, is beginning. Yeah. I think this well we're five hundred years into it. It's starting to really have its effect. Yeah. See, we're in a golden age. In the worst age of Kalayuga, there's a ten thousand Lord Chaitanya gave us a ten thousand year, the golden age. So for the next ninety five hundred years. This is the best place and the best time to ever exist in the material well, world. Well, everybody is wanting to get a body or take your body to be. They want to have to be here. Even the demigods. Demigods want to be here. They want to be part and of everyone this. in the galaxy is watching us. Yeah, yeah. And what's happening? It's 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 not necessarily the. It's not so much the DNA that's positive or. You know, because now we're getting back into a material body, which I'm not. 